Okay, everyone. Uh, good evening. Um, my name is Yuni Sari, and I'm here today uh, representing US Indonesia. Welcome to US Indonesia Meetup. So tonight we are very privileged to have uh, Professor Aniruda Joshi. Um, he's a friend of mine, uh, and um, he's uh, from the as uh, a professor of interaction design from the IDC School of Design IIT Bombay, India. So it's been a privilege for us to have him. He's a very key person uh, in this field in interaction design in India. And now we'll let him to introduce himself because he got more stories to tell you tonight. So Anirudha, time is yours now. Okay, lovely. So. Uh... Uh, I'm going to actually talk about uh, designing technology for adoption by what we call as emergent users and I'll explain that in just a minute. Uh, but before that, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take you from on a journey from uh, wherever you might be in the world. I'm assuming a lot of people are in Indonesia, but I can see a lot of people are not in Indonesia also. So, so from wherever you are in the world uh, to our university and give you a quick background about where we, where I come from actually. So. I am from IIT Bombay, which is located in Mumbai, the city of Mumbai, which is on the west coast of India. And if you zoom in, uh, you will find, if you zoom in close enough, you will find that Mumbai is actually an island shaped as a V. Okay. And uh, we are to the sort of, uh, and in the middle of this big V, there is a large green patch and we are to the bottom of that green, in at the bottom of that green patch. Okay. So we are in the midst of a, or at the bottom or edge of a forest. So our campus is also beautiful and very green. And in fact, this is a more representative map of our campus, uh, which is full of trees and so on. And uh, so you're welcome to join us at any stage whenever the lockdowns go away and the travel restrictions evaporate. Okay, and I actually in um, uh, in uh, what is now called the IDC School of Design. Our older name was Industrial Design Center. Uh, and uh, we are a design school. So we design different things. So we design products and identities. So this is a very famous brand of petrol station in India. And uh, it was designed by one of our colleagues here. Uh, and uh, one of my other colleagues has designed the post boxes in India, the newer ones. And one of our first PhD student, in fact, designed the rupee symbol, which is which you might see on the rupee currency notes in India. And uh, so one of my colleagues designs maps. So this is the metro map of India. And uh, some of our uh, colleagues, so one of my colleagues made this feature length animated film. So they're animators. Uh, and another of my colleague has designed these typefaces. So there we are into typeface design and typography. Uh, and another of our colleagues has designed exhibitions. So this is a very uh, important incident in the freedom struggle of India. Uh, and uh, uh, this is a museum that was created by one of, designed by one of my colleagues. So, and these beautiful statues are there. So in fact, this is something that was inaugurated in January last year. Uh, yeah, by the prime minister of India, in fact. And uh, yeah, so that's sort of where I come from. Okay, so that's a quick overview about the kind of work that we are doing or rest of my colleagues are doing. And now the rest of my talk, I'm going to talk about what I am doing, basically. Or some I am doing along with some of the other colleagues. Okay, so it's about designing technology for adoption by emergent users. And I'm going to actually talk a little bit first about what I mean by emergent users. Then I'm going to show some examples. And uh, the examples that I'm going to show, well, I have many examples and I'll probably not finish 
all of them but i'll talk sort of talk some of them and then uh, uh, i want to actually have at least 10 minutes for q and a at the end and then if you want i can talk about some more if you have a minute or two okay so let me actually briefly get into emergent users so if we rewind about 10 11 years ago then uh, uh, internet was already very popular there were about 1.7 billion internet users in 2009 so about exactly 11 years ago if you sort of look at last year so in june 2019 there were 4.4 billion internet users okay so if you think about it that works out to about 518 new internet users per minute so these users were using the internet for the first time in their lives and 518 of them in one minute so we started this program 8 minutes ago and in the last 8 minutes we have had 4000 odd people who started using the internet for the first time in their life now each of you have to go back and think about the first time in your lives when you used the internet and i don't know if any of you guys are uh, i can see many young faces in the room so maybe many people don't even remember the first day they used the internet okay but uh, i think most of us did uh, some of us who are as old as me uh or maybe even younger people will remember the first time they used the internet they felt so thrilled about it oh this is brilliant okay so but just in the last 8 minutes 4500 or so new people have started using the internet and that the trend has been continuing for the last 10 11 maybe even 20 years almost now and uh, it will continue going forward also so what we are saying is that this second half of the world so there are about 7.6 billion people in the world 7.6 7.7 billion and that second half of the world is what we are interested in and only in the last couple of years or so to last from say 2017 or so that line has entered that box okay and that's the group of users that we are interested in we call them emergent users okay and india is a very much a developing country uh, i think indonesia has slightly higher per capita income but even indonesia is and i can see kawe so iran So all of these countries are considered to be developing countries. Now, what does what do we mean by a developing country? Okay, so I'm going to kind of spend a minute talking about it. All of us know it, but just putting it out in front of us actually establishes the context a little bit. Okay, so this is a this is information from the latest census. The latest this last census was conducted in India in 2011, and the next census will be conducted in 2021, and data will become available only after. Uh, Uh, uh yeah so the data will become available only by 22 or 23 so another 3 years from now but we can already see over here what are the kind of amenities that people had in 2011 in india and all of these numbers have changed in the last 9 years okay so about 67% households had electricity okay and now we are closer to about 95% households having electricity okay uh mobile phones again similarly we have uh, probably uh, we had 64% households having mobile phones today we probably are uh, above 95% and we know surely from field work for example that there are some households which have a mobile phone but no electricity you might think how they charge their mobile phone if they have a mobile phone and no electricity okay and then 61% households have kitchen uh, 59% have bank account 57% have bathrooms uh 48% 47% have TVs 46% have toilets 45% have a bicycle 44% households have had top tap water okay so this is all in picture from 
uh, and I don't know if you have ever been to India, but India is full of traffic. But at least as far as 2011 is concerned, only 22% households had two-wheelers and only 5% households had cars. Okay, and so and of course traffic has increased a lot in the last nine years, but it has not doubled or anything. Okay, so see so these numbers have increased a little bit probably, but not double or something. Okay, so there is still a long way to go. And the last number, last thing is that 18% households have none of these in 2011. And I'm sure that picture is going to change. We're probably going to have less than 2% households with none of these amenities by 2021. Okay, but that's the picture. That's one picture of a developing country. Okay, here is another picture. And this is again specific to India. I don't have India's Indonesia specific information, but maybe it will be interesting to find out. But this is the population of India in millions from 1991 till about current times and beyond. So some of this is projected population. Okay. And you can see that in more recent times, it is expected to slow down. The population growth is slowing down. Okay. This red line shows the number of mobile phones that we've had in the last 20 years. Okay. And this purple dotted line shows the number of landline phones that we had. Landlines never really took off in India. Okay. And then this green line shows the number of internet users in India. Okay. And then this dotted line shows the number of smartphones in India. And since this now for the last two, three years, this line is growing longer and longer. So like we started getting mobile phones, smartphones around 2009. And then they started suddenly increasing in popularity. But of course, smartphones don't last as older phones did. So now I'm tracking another metric called less than four year old smartphones. Okay, so these are the number of less than four year old smartphones sold in India. So we, about, we have about 500 million smartphones in India, which are less than four year old. And we are assuming that they are still working therefore. And uh, if you count all smartphones, we have had about 700 million smartphones sold in India so far. So that's just a picture. But this is sort of roughly market data, okay? But now I'm going to put, so since I'm talking about HCI and UX and things like that, so we are actually, we need to understand how people fit in this market, okay? And I'm going to put, superimpose this with some additional information. So one important indicator of people is how well-educated they are, okay? And uh, many people are surprised to find, so I don't know what is the number of, what is the percentage of graduates in Indonesia might be? Anybody wants to take a guess? I don't know. Yeah. I should find out actually. Uh, what is, so Eunice, what is, how many people in uh, Indonesia might be graduates? Graduate? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like what I percentage of it? 10%, 50%, 80%? Yeah. Maybe to less than 10%. <laughs> Exactly. So in India, this is the number of graduates that we've had. Okay. So about in 2001, it was about 4.4%. In 2011, it was about 6.65%. Okay. We probably have 10% now. Okay. And we'll probably get to about 20% yeah. by 2030, another 10, 11 years from now. That's the rate at which we are going. Okay. Uh, then we also have this another group of people who are studied to about 12 or 13 years. So it's considered below graduate. Okay, so graduation is usually 15 to 16 years of education. So this is about 12, 13 years of education. So we call it HSE or diploma. That's another 5 to 10 percent. Uh, then we call metric, which is 10 years of school education, which is between 10 to 12 percent now, 12 percent perhaps. Uh, then we have the middle school, which is about seven years of school education. Uh, and then we have the primary school, which is about five years of school education. And then we have the literacy line. Okay. 
and now you can see the red line the original mobile phone line how it cuts through all these layers of education very very easily so it went through that very nicely and very easily and similarly the internet users and smartphones also seem to be going so the question is how do these users like it's just maybe another 2 years or 3 years that we will have more and more users who will be using these technologies but they are not very educated or they are definitely not so i'll talk about what i mean so this one group of users we call the non english literate users so these guys usually are literate they can read and write they can read a newspaper for example and very often fluently but they are not very comfortable with english okay then there is this next group which is the barely literate group this group is because they have had maybe primary school education or less they are they can read and write but with some difficulty and with some help and they struggle to read and write and of course then there is the group which is not at all literate and they struggle to read and write they don't at all read and write and we tend to look at the one way of looking at the people in a developing country is this we look at these three groups of people and we think that we need different strategies and different solutions and i'll see if i can get a so opportunity to show at least one example for each of those groups in some way okay uh but i want to also establish another uh way of looking at the same group of users so this is what uh, so this is my student uh, devanuj uh he uh finished his phd a couple of years 3 years ago and he proposed as a part of his phd this model called user usage model okay and i am going to briefly explain this user usage model so it is a two dimensional model uh so the one the first dimension is roughly similar to uh, a model that you might be familiar with in terms of hci research so uh so it divides people into various stages so at the one end we have unexposed people if i stop moving my mouse yes unexposed people the second group is novice users the third group is rote learners the fourth group is fluent users the fifth group is competent performers and sixth group is experts and i'll talk about this in a minute more but he also identified that there are some barriers that stop people from going ahead so if you are not exposed the lack of exposure keeps you unexposed so that's a barrier a second barrier is complexity if you are a novice and if you are faced with complex products you will stay a novice you will not become you don't don't become better at it but if you get uh some exposure then you become a rote learner you can do a few tasks another barrier though is low frequency if you use products infrequently then you will stay a rote learner you will not become fluent and then uh, another barrier is you don't have a conceptual model of how things work you don't understand how things work then you stay fluent you might become a fluent user but you cannot solve problems or if some new situation arises you don't know how to deal with it So these were the four barriers that he found out, uh, and then what is most interesting is he said that these barriers don't affect everybody equally. It affects some people more, and it affects some people less. And he found out what are those what are those variables that affect. That was his PhD actually. What are those variables that affect people more and less? So that's what he calls as the user model, user dimension. So uh, and I'll actually actually go through some of these very quickly. so a basic user is the first category and if he is unexposed of course he stays unexposed but if he gets exposure he starts using the product but like a novice and he stumbles upon complexity he cannot do complex things so we have this sounds very complex so it's very abstract so we have a persona here uh, so this is a persona for 50 year old tailor who has studied till class 6 maybe 
uh, and he owns a feature phone and about 25-30% of people in India still own a feature phone is, is my understanding. Uh, so, so this user, for example, Surya can understand and use hardware buttons. Uh, he can receive calls, make calls from a recently dialed list, num list, which is, if you remember your feature phone is the green button. If you press the green button, you go, go into the recently dialed list and therefore he can then go up and down in that list and make a call. And he can dial numbers like in landline phones, but he cannot navigate hierarchies. He lacks the ability of abstraction. So he uses apps such as alarm or radio or music, or he can he cannot use uh, he cannot read an SMS. In fact, he has never ever read an SMS. Although he's literate, he can read, but he cannot. He has never ever read an SMS. Uh, and we did an experiment uh, to uh, do, and I'm going to simulate that experiment over here. So what we did was we showed a picture like a banana, these bananas here, and then we gave a call to people on their phones, their basic phones, and then we asked a question on the call. If you see mangoes, press one. If you see apples, press two. If you see bananas, press three. And if you see grapes, press four. Simple task, right? And in fact, most people could do this task. We did not find anybody who cannot do this task. Okay? Most people can do this task. They are numerically literate and they can follow instructions. So this is not a problem at all. However, if you change the question and we ask the question, if you see flowers, press one. If you see fruits, press two. If you see vegetables, press three. And if you see grains, press four. Again, a lot of people can do this task, but there are some people who struggle to do this task or cannot do this task. Okay. And so why can they not do this task? Go Nokia. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so one of the reasons why they cannot do this task. Yeah. Well, one problem might be that they're not sure if this is a vegetable or fruit, but actually vegetables and fruits are abstract categories. Okay. And in fact, we came back with a conclusion, which might seem a little odd to you that there are no fruits in this world. There is nothing called as a fruit in this world. There are only bananas and apples and mangoes and pineapples and what have you, but there are nothing called as a fruit. There is nothing like an abstract thing. Fruit is an abstract category that we have created. Human beings have created. Okay. And we are good at this. Uh, and this seems to be correlated with, correlated with education. So you learn to do abstraction as you get educated. Okay. But as an uneducated person, you may struggle with abstraction. So if you have less education, you may not be able to do a lot of abstraction. Okay. So uh, what we found therefore is some people struggle with this task. Right. Uh, so those are our basic users. And in fact, they could actually use a lot of interactive products. So feature phones is just one example of them. But they, so I don't know how elections are done in Indonesia, but this is Indian electronic voting machine. And all voting in India has been electronic for about 20 years. And in fact, our design school was the design school that originally designed this electronic voting machine back, back in 1988. Okay. So, uh, and all voting is electronic and they can use because it's a hardware button. This candidate is associated with this button. Okay. And so on. Uh, they can use TV remote controls. They can use buttons such as elevators and so on. So they, anything that requires abstraction, they cannot do, but anything else, everything else they can do. So the second category was navigators and uh, navigate. So our persona for navigator is Naveen Kumar. He's slightly younger. Uh, he runs a grocery shop. He's educated till class 10. And he owns a cheap smartphone. Okay. So in addition to all the things that Surya can do, yeah. uh, 
the main thing that navin kumar can do is he can navigate hierarchies so he can look up contacts missed calls use the camera play songs watch movies uh he can read whatsapp messages but not frequently uh what he cannot explore interfaces does not troubleshoot so he's behind this low frequency barrier okay so he has crossed complexity yeah. barrier but is behind the low complex uh, low frequency barrier so as a navigator uh he can uh for example you know browse news not search but browse news okay and probably in tamil and not in english uh and then he can browse entertainment okay and uh, he can browse whatsapp so all of these are navigational tasks okay and they require you to have a little bit of abstract abstraction ability but beyond that you can do all of those things okay again in tamil uh so that's surya our navigator our next group of users are text inputters and i know that uh, indonesia i uh, i, I uh, don't understand bahasa so well but uh, i know that indonesia uh, is in the same family of languages that india ha- india has so india is a continuation of family of languages however uh, there is one big difference between uh, bahasa for example and many of the indian languages uh, which is that uh, in bahasa uh, you you guys adopted to the roman script fairly early and so the bahasa bahasa is written and also i think malay is also written in uh, the roman script okay whereas uh, all indian scripts are uh, written in uh, the original indian scripts that we sort of used to use and uh, so text input has therefore been a particular challenge okay so very very few people actually can do text input and although the number has been increasing after smartphones came along so for example and our persona here is a uh, is a sriram is a younger guy 35 years old again educated till class 10 and he owns he's a cement dealer so he's a sort of slightly more richer person than the other two guys and he owns a mid range smartphone okay so something that costs maybe 200 dollars uh, i don't know what's 200 dollars in indonesia currency or 200 us dollars uh and he can browse contacts save contacts use what sms and whatsapp although he doesn't really uh, read uh, he doesn't really type a lot he reads a lot and uh, mostly he does stuff in english because any test is tense and education helps uh but he still rarely types he's not much of a typist except when he needs to search he t- does search from time to time yeah two to three million low range smartphones in indonesia good point yeah and uh, uh so so text inputters can of course search and that's a big differentiator so it changes hci completely once you can search once you can do text input okay and uh, so many people can uh, not many people can do this but those who can actually get many many benefits even browsing a contact so this is a so if this is a physical class this is the thing that i ask people to do at this stage i ask them to take out their mobile phones okay and then search a contact of a friend without typing okay so you have to go into your contacts and then identify identify a contact without typing so you have to scroll and do this okay so it's not easy so try to find for example if you have unisys number try to find that number just by scrolling it's not easy i think i have unisys number store it but without typing it's like i'm still in a now i'm reaching b now i'm seeing b and so on so it's not easy at all if you're not typing okay so you can try doing that so that's what navin kumar can do and uh, sorry sriram can do that navin kumar cannot do so that's what the text inputer can do and a navigator cannot do type okay and then we have savers people who can save now these are even more 
ಅವ್ರಲ್ಲಿ ನಮ್ಮ ಪ್ರತೀಕ್ ಈಸ್ ಅವರ್ ಪರ್ಸನ್ ಈಸ್ ಅ ಲೋಕಲ್ ಪಾಲಿಟಿಷಿಯನ್ ಹಿ ಓನ್ಸ್ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪೆನ್ಸಿವ್ ಸ್ಮಾರ್ಟ್ ಫೋನ್ ಈಸ್ ಮೋರ್ ಎಜುಕೇಟೆಡ್ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಈಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಡೋಸ್ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ಸೋ ಫ್ಲೂಯೆಂಟ್ಲಿ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಈ ಸಾರ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಯೂಸ್ ಜಸ್ ರೋಮನೈಸ್ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ ವೆರಿ ಮಚ್ ಲೈಕ್ ಭಾಷಾ ಈಸ್ ರೋಮನೈಸ್ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ಪುಟ್ ಸೊ ಇಟ್ ಡಸನ್ ಲೈಕ್ ಟು ಡೂ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ಪುಟ್ ಇಂಡಿಯನ್ ಲ್ಯಾಂಗ್ವೇಜಸ್ ದ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಇಂಪಾರ್ಟೆಂಟ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ ಹೀ ಡಸ್ ಈಸ್ ಇ ಪ್ರೊಟೆಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಫೋನ್ ವಿತ್ ಅ ಪ್ಯಾಟರ್ನ್ ಆರ್ ಅ ಫೋನ್ ಲಾಕ್ ಆರ್ ಸಮಥಿಂಗ್ ಓಕೆ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಯು ಬಿಲೀವ್ಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಫೋನ್ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಸಮ್ ಯೂಸ್ಫುಲ್ ಇನ್ಫಾರ್ಮೇಷನ್ ದಟ್ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಬಿ ಸ್ಟೋಲನ್ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ವ್ಯಾಲ್ಯೂಯಬಲ್ ಸೊ ಇವನ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಲೂಸಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಫೋನ್ ಇಟ್ ಡಸನ್ ವಾಂಟ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಈಸ್ ಪಾಲಿಟಿಷಿಯನ್ ರೈಟ್ ಸೊ ಹಿ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಸಮ್ ಕಾಂಪ್ರಮೈಸ್ ಇನ್ಫಾರ್ಮೇಷನ್ ವಿತ್ ಹಿಮ್ ಆನ್ ಇಸ್ ಫೋನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಇಟ್ ಡಸನ್ ವಾಂಟ್ ಇಫ್ ಇಸ್ ಫೋನ್ ಇಫ್ ಇ ಎವರ್ ಲೂಸಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಫೋನ್ ಇಟ್ ಡಸನ್ ವಾಂಟ್ ದ ಸ್ಟಫ್ ಇನ್ಸೈಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಫೋನ್ ಟು ಬಿ ಫೌಂಡ್ ಔಟ್ ಬೈ ಅದರ್ ಪೀಪಲ್ ಸೊ ಹಿ ಈಸ್ ದೇರ್ ಫಾರ್ ಕನ್ಸರ್ನ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದೇರ್ ಫಾರ್ ಹಿ ಸ್ಟೋರ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ಸೇವ್ಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಇನ್ಫಾರ್ಮೇಷನ್ ಇನ್ ಸಮ್ ವೇ ಓಕೆ so uh, he protects it so that so in other words he's a saver and what do we mean by a saver so saver is a person who has the notion of a digital space so this is not just the hardware but there is a digital space inside of this and i save stuff i have photographs i have my bank account information i have my files i can transfer my files from this phone to the other phone by bluetooth or through wifi or through some mechanism so i have this conceptual model of a file system and i understand what these files and documents are so that's a saver our next group is an account holder now this person is actually like in our case is a richer guy he's a jeweler and uh, he maintains a social media profile so an account holder is a person who not only has the notion of a digital space but he also has a digital identity okay so for example all of you guys there are 22 people in the call right now and all of us just turned up on this call okay on time and we know that if it's a call like this it will start on time and it will end on time okay and it is our responsibility to be there so it has a certain social etiquette okay uh some people don't have that social etiquette so for example i give an example of my dad my dad is now 84 years old okay and he uh uh he has been using a computer since 1995 okay and he is a illustrator he's a, he draws and these pictures he has drawn actually for me okay so thanks to him uh and he uh uh he actually is a saver so he understands he's been using photoshop since 1995 okay so 25 years he has been using photoshop and he is a very good illustrator and he uses computers he scans documents he doesn't take good backups it's a mess but he is okay okay but he's a he is not an account holder so just as an example he knows how to send me email okay but every time he sends me an email he'll also call me and says i sent you an email have you received it so you check yeah and i'm sure you know people maybe older people or people around you who behave like that because for them sending an email is not a frequent thing and that's not in their social identity they don't think about it as a as a thing basically so when i when unis sends me an email i say i will say unis sent me an email okay i didn't i will not say unis uh, typed something in her email program and hit the send button and that landed in the, my email program and it arrived there i don't think of it like that right i think we think about a direct connect okay so we have that so that is what an account holder is okay so that's the model okay and i am actually more concerned about the lower half here than the upper half as you can understand uh or in our group we actually do a lot of work for this group of users uh because we don't know much about how to design for this group so far okay okay so what i'm now going to talk about in my uh in the last 15 minutes or so of my talk is how some of these projects 
uh, how, how are meant and what are these projects doing and one of the things that we are trying to do in these projects is help people who cannot do things do those things okay so for example if a basic user cannot navigate how can we help a basic user navigate okay or if a navigator cannot do text input how we can do that so i'm just going to talk about maybe two three examples here okay so uh so first thing is that what can i do how can i make the basic uh, basic user do things that a navigator does so first is maybe take away the need to navigate a hierarchy and this sort of corresponds corresponds back to the illiterate group of users that i had talked about earlier okay and so here is some example of a student a design student uh, from 2007 he's a product design student and he actually designed this special feature phone so remember this is 2007 so at that time this was not there were no smartphones yet so he designed a uh, feature phone for illiterate people okay and he found out some very interesting things that by making things in a hardware it makes it things become easier so as soon as you put things in a hardware so for example he had a phone book on one side and he had uh, applications on the other side so there is an alarm app there is a radio there is a calculator and so on so the app there is a calendar and so on so there are applications on the other side and there are groups of people on this side so that's one way of doing but i'm going to actually do a quick puzzle for you so since here, this is a talk from india and many of you guys are from indonesia and then amita i'm going to ask to keep quiet for some time and i'm going to show you something okay so i'm going to teach you hindi script okay so so hindi is a is a script called an abugida script okay so the way it works is uh, there is a consonant so this consonant is called a k okay and then when you put a next a line next to it it becomes a ka and then this is this consonant is called as a m so together it is kam okay so work and then this ka remains the same but now this is a different consonant it is called n so this is kan which means the ear okay so kam means work and kan which means the ear and this is like now i'm taking these two together and this was the m but now if i put a line next to it it becomes a ma and then man okay so i want you to and so on so this goes on so i want you to figure out what this last word is that's the puzzle and then you would have learned hindi you can say i know hindi after that <laughs> come on yes 30 more seconds to figure out what that last word is okay i'll give you a hint now oh lovely unisis unis and gamma have figured it out it's the naan which is the indian bread i don't know if you've been to an indian restaurant but you get a bread called the naan okay and so that's how it is written in hindi so see you got you guys all have figured out how to read in hindi okay so one of my students actually worked on a literacy program so okay so this is this was just a video so she created this so the theory that she had was if i make a letter form tangible then it aids in a literacy class so this is an adult literacy class you can see all these users here are actually students in an adult literacy class uh, run by an ngo and uh, uh, so as i said about about 20% even now 20% of india's uh, adults are not literate and therefore there is a lot of effort both by the government and by the ngo sector to actually introduce literacy to adults but it as it turns out adults are not very good students as you might all know you know so after some time adults cannot pay attention children can spend hours engrossed into some school work you know children go to 
every day to school and spend hours over there not in the lockdown but earlier than that and but adults cannot do that and one of the things that she found was that adults struggle so like if the teacher is talking to one student all other students wait until their conversation is over in fact they are not even paying attention to that student they are just waiting okay uh so she wanted to actually create a product that will engage so and this is the product that she came up with finally uh, so this is different technology you just ocr with a camera on top uh and uh, i'll just show a video demo of how it worked uh so and she actually okay so if you might notice uh she was still she is still interacting with the teacher she doesn't know how to interact with the machine okay so uh uh no voice oh i'm so sorry okay uh so so this particular but it's okay anyway they are conversing in hindi so if you can't hear that's probably fine but what you might have noticed is that this particular user was conversing with the teacher she's not interacting with the computer but in the next video which is the few minutes later she starts getting engaged on her own and that was her achievement so now if you are getting sound and this will be another field based sound so it will be a little noisy but if you might notice that this woman has moved ahead by 1 inch that means she is getting more engaged and independent of the teacher now still interacting with the teacher but not completely anyway so uh, so that was one example of so there is no hierarchy in this interactive product okay so one of the things that we say is that actually take away hierarchies if you can okay another is to use audio if you have to have hierarchies and audio seem to be working pretty well so here is an example okay so imagine that you are trying to book a ticket okay and you get an option and there are three buttons mumbai jakarta and sydney right uh and uh, yeah sir this is a very simplistic kind of interface but uh, still so what is the challenge that a user might face a typical emergent user might face uh, while using an interface like this so somebody mentioned in the chat a few minutes ago that it reminds them of something from south africa so maybe you remember this person do you know who this person is come on somebody you know nobody so this is this is gary marsden you need you should know him <laughs> okay so uh, this is gary marsden and in fact this is a still from a kai 2007 talk that he gave actually okay and in fact so this is my opportunity to wear my sikka hat and uh, if there are any students in the talk i wanted to say that acmc well gary marsden unfortunately is no more but he, he died in 2013 or 2014 i think 13 i think uh, and uh, so but he did a lot of work in south africa and in his honor acm sikka has constituted a gary marsden award uh, to help students from developing countries to attend international conferences of course right now all conferences are virtual so currently probably nobody needs that funding but eventually when conferences start becoming physical again uh, hopefully this award will still be available and sikka will be able to support students from developing countries to go to international conferences okay so that was my plug as far as kai is concerned a sikka is concerned okay so uh, this is gary marsden's work so he said that you know one of his colleagues had brought down a user interface to so simple that it had only one button on it okay now most user interfaces are not so simple you all know that but this one had only one button on it okay and then people couldn't use it so then this colleague said oh that is probably because 
it is in english and maybe we maybe translation will work so she actually translated it to this is one of the south african languages and it still did not work people could read it said button and they can understand it says button but what happened is that what they figured out is that the people figured out that this is not a button yeah. this is a picture of a button okay so and i don't know if there is a if you know any french but that french line is a very famous french line so amit if you can help me find that picture of monet's uh, if you type in those words you will surely find it or if you just type in this is not a this is not a pipe it's a famous one and you can put that in the chat and people can take a look at that so so these are not buttons okay and therefore people cannot figure out that oh, they can be pressed they can be clicked and so on uh, but voice is voice it tells you okay so if you say press 1 for mumbai it says press 1 for mumbai you know what to do it is direct okay so we call this directed dialogue it directs you press 1 for mumbai press 2 for jakarta and press 3 for sydney so this is a project that we worked with a, this is a large team of people that we had at that time in our group here uh, a large number of researchers and it was a smaller subset compared to even a larger set of people that we were working internationally and this is the last project that i will talk about so this is a project about helping hiv patients in developing countries this is something that we did about 6 years or 7 years ago uh and uh, so and out of 37 million plha worldwide most are most of the people are in developing countries and 69% in fact are in africa alone and uh, what has been known is giving away free medication is not a silver bullet because although financial status was the most common cause for poor adherence respondents receiving free drugs also had lower adherence okay other reasons included severe depression less education unemployment high cd for count hospitalization side effects and pill burden however from our own studies what we found it is it is about not understanding the disease or having questions and not able to find the information answers to the questions that you had at the time okay so this was a long project and i'm not really going to spend time on it but we have actually in fact three papers on it and uh, you might be interested in looking at those papers okay so we did lot of stuff we went and did lot of field work it's one of the projects that i enjoyed doing a lot, quite a bit uh and uh, so ultimately we came up with a with a support system for people living with hiv aids we call them plha for short uh which is based on a mobile phone so if you can hear this i'm going to try to push my volume i don't know if that helps tama is an interactive voice response system that calls hiv patients at per times to remind them to take their medicine tama gives them information about hiv in 30 second nuggets called health tips if a patient faces a symptom he may call tama to get doctor's advice access to tama is protected by a pin to prevent accidental disclosure Tama was tried by 54 people living with HIV AIDS for a period of 12 weeks. Yeah. Okay, so this was our CAT 2014 ad for that. But basically the idea is that you get a call on your phone just after your pill time to remind you and it also gives you adherence feedback which means it tells you how many of your medicines you have taken. Uh, uh you can look up if you feel sick or something you can look up symptoms uh it is personalized and it gives you some personalized health tips uh it is protected by a pin because a lot of hiv patients in developing countries prefer not to inform their uh, family members about their hiv status and uh, in fact they are extremely scared of that and then for that reason they stop taking medication if you 
force them to. So we don't want to force people to uh, inform their family. So this is a tricky question actually. So wicked problem, as they say. And lastly, it is also localized to a clinic. So we actually created the system and we deployed it first in a few clinics. First, we tried it in the lab. Then we uh, deployed it in a small number of clinics. And then we deployed it in a larger number of clinics. And now uh, the system has been deployed in the wild for a large number of uh, people living with HIV AIDS within the Mumbai city. Uh, our study had some bunch of findings, but the main finding with respect to this talk is that people actually could use the system uh, because we had designed it very carefully. So, in fact, when we our early designs failed actually, and our paper described why our early designs failed, and we have lots of details about that, and some of them are over here. But uh, right now it has been like I mean, when I checked it out a few months ago, it was about 800 people who are using the systems, and it's going on. I uh, want to actually briefly mention a few projects that I'm not going to talk about in detail. So this is work of another of my PhD student, Abhishek Srivastava, uh, who actually designed an audio-visual system, so which combines the benefits of an IVR and the visual ab abilities of a system. Sorry, these are all fieldwork videos, but basically it uses voice and visual simultaneously direct uh, and we found that that actually enhances the performance of emergence users substantially uh, i'm going to also briefly touch upon our work other work such as localization uh, text input uh, we have done a lot of work in text input. in fact we have a large group of people even larger group of people who did text input i'm not going to talk about this because again so I, what i'm going to do is i'm going to give you these slides and you can take a look at them some of them are self-explanatory but we have been getting fair amount of uh, success because of that uh, and uh, we have been doing some work with uh, the group of researchers from Swansea University also so on the other side of the world uh, where we have been deploying and this is our last CHI paper, CHI 2019 paper uh, where we have been deploying a voice based system it is called a system called Streetwise again I'll leave the slides back with you guys and you can browse through them at your own time these were deployed in a slum in Mumbai called Dharavi, which is the largest slum uh, in Asia and the second largest slum, in fact, in the world. But it is a very industrial slum, as you can see. So it's a very hardworking slum. And we found some very, very interesting problems about how people use conversational interfaces, audio-based speech systems. Okay? Uh, so you can take a look at, you know, the kind of questions that people ask and so on. So I'm, I'm going to leave these slides behind with you. But I am very keen to sort of get some questions. I wanted to actually leave behind these two pictures and then get some questions. So I would like to, if there are any questions, I would like to have them now. Oh, hi, Haniruda. Thank you so much for a very interesting presentation. Um, sorry, I was kind of a lockout before. Um, uh, I have a question actually, like a... Yeah, so any questions I'll be happy to answer. May I ask a question? Sure. So thank you very much, uh, Ernest, for the invite of uh, Anirhoda Joshi, although I, I know him from a long time and it's always a pleasure to listen to his keynote talks. Last time was, I think, Interact 2019 that you also had a keynote. So my question, Anirhoda, is, is the following. Um, as you know, uh, Google is investing a lot of money in India at this time 
and they're having their uh, you know labs R&D and everything. Uh, my question is whether you think this is great for your students, for the IDC to have a big company like Google doing also research, or uh, there is some kind of competition because of course, you know, in terms of methodology and in terms of uh, all sorts of, you know, hardware, software that Google has, nobody can compete. So how, how do you see this, this collaboration and presence of Google uh, inside India for your students specifically and for HCI? Sure. So thanks for uh, a very, very nice and potentially controversial question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me try to take an answer. So actually, uh, I don't I don't look at companies such as Google and we also have Microsoft has a big presence in India. Uh, many other companies, uh, Yahoo used to have a very strong presence in India earlier. Uh, IBM, many international companies are located in India. Uh, Samsung. Uh, but uh, I don't look at them as competition with our lab. We are a tiny lab. I mean, we are like six people lab or sometimes 10 people lab uh, compared to that. Uh, but we kind of do very different. So first of all, I must say that many of our students, alumni, after finishing their studies, work in some of these companies. Not all, but uh, I would say a large percentage of our uh, alumni work over there. And uh, so they are actually friends there. Okay. Uh, secondly, uh, they do while they do fantastic, some, uh, particularly Microsoft research, I must mention, does a lot of work like what we do. Uh, but uh, uh, apart from them, there are a lot of other organizations. Uh, or We do very different kind of work than what uh, even Microsoft research would be doing, perhaps. Uh, sometimes we have very similar work. Uh, the other thing is that uh, in terms of comp so comp intellectual competition is always welcome, right? I mean, we always want to, in some sense, compete intellectually. But there is all. Thankfully, uh, they have a different pot of money of their own, and we sort of very often. In fact, a lot of our research does not require a lot of money. Uh, mm. I would I would say uh, some of our research, like our text input work, for example, which I didn't get a chance to talk about much over here. Uh, is uh, what I proudly say, it's a zero budget project. Okay, that is because it's done completely by voluntary efforts of people. More than 100 people now have worked on those projects over the last 10 years. And uh, we actually have live products out there which we are supporting purely out of zero budget. And so very often I find that money brings certain, I mean, when you take money from someone to do research, you also give up some part of your control to them okay whereas in text input we do what we want to do and it's completely voluntary I and mean, that's also a different kind of a power that we have on our own projects of course it would be nice to have some money because we can then do things faster and we can do we don't have to wait for somebody to come up with the right skills to turn up and want to do an internship with us or something like that but uh, uh, yeah but uh, we don't necessarily depend on only money. And I must also say that we are thankful that uh, uh, at least in some of our universities, we do get reasonable amount of support to do our research uh, than uh, some of the other universities who may not get that kind of support. So that also is an advantage. Okay, so now I think people have had the chance to write down the URL, so I'm kind of going to close this. I can also type it out in the chat window afterwards. Thank yeah, you very much for your 
Great answer. I, I, uh, I'm sure that our students back here would be happy to have you also as keynote. Thank you very much. Sure, most welcome. I would love to talk. I would like to physically go to Iran and Indonesia also, but virtually. <laughs> yeah, well, we have talked about this for a long time and uh, it has been uh, difficult. <laughs> I know, I know. Like the organization as well. Anyway, we I'm happy that we can make it like uh, right now and the people hear what you are doing and it's just a lot of things are very similar with what um, what happened in Indonesia. I have a question here, like um, uh, say for example, a lot of companies like Google, Microsoft, and a lot of other companies come to India because it's a really big market. So uh, you mentioned about the different types of users, and a lot of them like are really illiterate or they are not really exposed to the technology. So how does this thing work? Because this uh, should this company um, uh, adjust their product, make a uh, very differentiation for India, or how does uh, what would be the best strategy in your opinion? So, so we do have so absolutely great question. So, uh, I think there is a lot that so okay, uh, to, to the one big difference between some of these companies and us is many of these companies are focused on business. Okay, so many of these companies are working on research. And one of the projects that they typically call is the next billion users. You might have heard this term, next billion users. And that is fantastic because this is the next billion people who are going to buy their piece of technology and participate in that. But we don't necessarily look at only the next billion, but we also look at the billion after that and the billion after that. And even if there are not billions of people, but let's say a few hundred people in one corner and they have some specific needs, then we are also willing to look. So we don't have the commercial pressure in other words. So that's the other thing. Uh, Going back to the other question, which you uh, said is like, how do, how do these companies, uh, uh, how do they need to differentiate their products? Absolutely, they need to differentiate their products. And in fact, I would actually argue that the companies which are doing the differentiation are the ones who, who are turning out to be leaders. So I remember the day when Nokia launched their first phone in India. Okay, so I'm reasonably old, as you can tell. Uh, so I remember the day when I saw the first poster of Nokia on the streets in India. Okay. And then that original model was just the model that was launched in Europe and then they had relaunched it in India. But after that, they spent a lot, a lot of time and effort in designing phones, which were only meant for the Indian market and then India and then Southeast Asia and they went to Africa and so on. And they kind of designed devices, phones specifically for those markets. And I, I attribute a lot of their success to that effort okay and and they took care uh, not all companies do that right now uh, some companies do it more than the others okay is there some more chat questions do you think language um, adoption is enough no not at all there is you have to design um, yeah absolutely i mean there is a lot more that needs to be done beyond language so language is the basic thing i would say I mean, if you don't adopt even the language, then probably you don't get in at all. You don't get a foot in the door at all. But uh, you have to adopt culturally. You have to adopt uh, uh, in lifestyles. Uh, our uh, Many of our countries are, I mean, I, and since you know that, you know, as you said rightly, that, you know, we are very similar to each other. So uh, we have, in many cases, a very different lifestyle. 
and uh, so products not only have to uh, fit the language they also have to fit the lifestyle they have to fit the culture uh, they have to solve local problems and very often local problems are different and and i must say that many companies are doing that uh, and they are trying or at least they are trying i mean next billion users also a large number of users well like uh, i think the last question will be like a from shamsul uh, he's asking about uh, if there is any brand specifically from india in terms of mobile phones the- yes there are several brands of phones uh, that came from india they are going down again i mean they in about say uh, so so when android was growing very rapidly at that time many indian brands actually came about uh, not all of them were from uh, not all of them were making the whole phone in india some parts they were getting from for example from china and some from other countries and so on but uh, there are brands available from india for sure Uh, thank you so before people go away yeah yeah please copy your uh url yeah i'll do that yeah i'll do that well thank you anirudha it was a very interesting talk um it gives us a lot of uh, uh ideas about the things uh, going on in india and um as i said to you before there are so much similarities that uh, we can find in indonesia as well sure um we should yeah, collaborate so, <laughs> yeah, we should like a new comparative study on this one. <laughs> well, this is good. So, uh, well, I uh, I would like to remind everyone to fill out the survey uh, because it's really important to uh, hear like uh, what you think about the talk today. And also, I would like to remind you that uh, we are going to have another meetup. Uh, it will be on Thursday. So the person who will be talking is here actually. Um, yeah, so she's a doctor, Heli Randaho. Yes, she's there. <laughs> you want to say a little bit about your talk, just a title or something to promote your talk? Yeah, of course. Uh, like everyone, we've had a very, um, very exceptional spring um, at Spotify and. What I will share is a project that we did to respond to this exceptional circumstance of the coronavirus pandemic and to understand um, how the Spotify audiences were experiencing it and how it was affecting their listening. So that's what I will share. Well, this is interesting. So if you are the user of Spotify or if you if you like to listen to music, so you should come to this talk. And um, yeah, so everyone, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Heli. And uh, thank you, Anirudha, especially for giving us a talk today. And I hope that we can meet again in the future in the next uh, couple of days. Thank you very much for having me here. It was really a pleasure. Uh, and uh, hopefully we will meet again. So thank you very much. Bye. Thank you everyone. Bye. Good night. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Murli. Thank you, Shamsul. Thank you, Panja. Thank you, Heli. Okay. Thank, thank you. you everyone. Thank you, Anirudha. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone.